I'd like us to look in uh, Philippians chapter 1, those first few verses, because when I think about Grace Church, I, I think about this partnership that we have that's unfolded over the past few years from our side in Southeast uh, Asia and the uh, work that you're doing here. And, and just when I think about uh, the church, that word partnership, it just uh, always comes to mind, and I think it's really exemplified in these uh, first few verses here in Philippians. So Paul had gone to Philippi in Acts chapter 16, and he plants the church probably in the early 50s, and sometimes just around 10 years later, he's now writing back to this church. He finds himself in prison, most likely in Rome, and there he is writing to uh, a number of the churches. He writes those prison epistles that we're familiar with to the Ephesians and the Colossians, to Philemon and to uh, this church here in Philippi. Probably Paul was back there a few times. He had been in and he uh, was then uh, sort of chased out of town. And he'd been back probably a few times and, and he's writing to them as uh, well here. We can see that he stayed in relationship with this church. And even when he couldn't be with them, that they were people that were on his heart. Lot, lots of writers would say, this seems to be Paul's favorite church. And so uh, I think about the partnership that he has with the Philippians as he moves on and does other kinds of ministry. When I, when I think about the way that uh, grace has been a, uh, a blessing and an encouragement and uh, uh, really a wind in our sails when uh, there have been times when we didn't feel like we had much wind in our, uh, in our favor at all. So let's look at Philippians. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1, and read to verse 11. I'm reading from the ESV. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for all of you making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and defense of the gospel and the confirmation, or both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, we pray as we open your word that you would uh, move. And uh, I do pray, Lord, that you would help me to a decrease, that you would keep me from error. We pray that you would increase in this place, and we ask that you would meet us, and that you would teach us, and Lord, that you would be exalted. And so we pray that you would open your word to our hearts, and open our hearts to your word. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So as Paul starts here in the beginning of chapter one, we, we have this beautiful greeting first, and, and it's the first thing that uh, I think we should call our attention to, because he says, uh, I am writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus. He's writing to all the saints 
and to their leaders and deacons. Uh, when we go through the, a book like this, we can see some of just incredible, I think some of the best stuff that we really see about Christ and uh, some of the most really high and exalted pictures that we have. And when we look at those things, we have to remember that Paul is writing them to all the saints who are in this church. He's talking about these grand things, and they're not just for the leaders. These grand things are for all the saints. They're not just for the elders. They are for all the people. And so this focus that he's going to have for, uh, on living for Christ, on uh, counting everything as loss, pressing on toward the goal, having unity, uh, rejoicing, living with peace, all of these things, they're for the church. They're not just for the leaders. They're for all believers. And so these things, as we even start to dig in, they're for us as God's people. Uh, it's easy sometimes, especially when people think uh, they, can, they can get into a bit of a hierarchy. We have like normal Christians and Sunday school teachers, and we have elders, and we have pastors, and we have uh, people that serve overseas, right? We have missionaries, and it, to me, it's just so ridiculous, right? When people will say, uh, and we get this at different times, they say, oh, you're a hero of mine. And I always think, what does that even mean? What are you, what are you talking about? Right? And I'll write home and I'll tell somebody like Nathan that I have a lot of con uh, contact with. Man, for someone to think that we're heroic, what they have to find heroic is me arranging with an electrician to come to the church there in Southeast Asia. And then I sit all afternoon waiting for him to come and he just doesn't come. That's, that's not heroic stuff, right? That's just normal sorts of things that workers don't keep their promises. So these things are for all the believers. They're not just promises for certain people. And when we go into verses 3 to 11, we're going to see two real things that I want us to focus on. Rejoicing over the partnership and then this prayer for growth that Paul has at the end. He says in verses uh, three, through, uh, 3 through 8, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'll just stop there in verse Five. Paul tells these believers how excited he is, how joyful he is when he thinks about them. Uh, in his book on Philippians, D.A. Carson, he writes that uh, uh, grammatically, verse 3, and I found this so helpful, grammatically in verse 3, that uh, it could be saying a couple of different things. The ESV, uh, the New American Standard, and most of the others, I think, say, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. But Carson says that could just as easily uh, be translated, I thank my God every time you remember me. I thank God every time you remember me. Either way, though, Paul's talking about this partnership, this, this incredible joy that he has because they are working together. If you flip to the end of the book in chapter 4, verses uh, 14 through 16, he's talking about the fact that nobody else has partnered with them the, with Paul and his ministry, the way that the Philippian church has. He says, nobody's partnered with me like you guys have. And then in verse 17 and 18, he talks about how they've been sending these uh, gifts and supports and things through uh, Epaphroditus when he comes uh, and, and see them. And, and so when I read things like that, I, I wonder how easy it is for us and our churches to think how that must have felt when Epaphroditus comes with a, with a gift for Paul when he's there in prison. And we've not been in prison in uh, Southeast Asia, but I do think we have some 
degree of understanding because we've felt the power of partnership with a church like Grace because we can, uh, we can just look at times when we felt alone or we felt like we didn't know what exactly we were supposed to do next and we just have been challenged in our spirits with uh, what we perceive to be a lack of fruit and some of these kinds of things. And, and you were there sending people to us time and again. Time and again, time and again, you sent people. We're, we're not in prison, but we still had uh, your representatives coming and walking alongside us and bearing gifts and being supportive and just being encouraging, being, encouraging, being a, a blessing to us. And so our family can understand how Paul was encouraged, not because... Uh, people needed the support. It, it, it doesn't matter so much that uh, you might send a team who takes us out to coffee because I think what Paul would say is, I can buy my own coffee, but it means something that you came and had coffee with me. You came and you were part of our lives. I believe that's what Paul is talking about. And we, we understand how encouraged he must have been, not because they brought support, but because they brought support they brought it and they were staying connected and they said to him basically we believe Paul in what you're doing we believe in you we believe what Christ has done in you we believe what Christ is continuing to do in you we believe in what God is doing in you Paul which had to be incredibly encouraging as he sat in prison I think about the church that we had this uh, hand in starting there in Southeast Asia and we've been gone now for six months and so what we see when they post pictures in the group, we see brand new faces, people that we don't recognize. They posted a sermon um, in our podcast stream recently, and so I thought, well, I want to hear the Christmas sermon, and I started it, and out comes a voice, and I have no idea who that person was. And I'm thinking, praise the Lord that God's giving them more and more people, and he's bringing new faces in, and they're starting new ministries, and they're doing things that we hadn't really conceived of. I'm, I'm so excited to see how that they've uh, continued to grow, these, these people and these ministries and all of these things. God used us to start, uh, maybe, but the people that we touched just keep on going and touching people, and I don't have, in some sense, anything to do with that. And yet I feel like I'm really intimately involved in these things that I don't have any personal connection to because of that partnership. That's why I love Carson's opinion that this, this translation really could be, I thank my God every time you remember me because it wasn't about what Paul was going to get when the Philippians came, when Epaphroditus, whatever he brought, that wasn't the point. They stayed connected with Paul. They were there. It was a church he had planted, and, and he could look and say, that church that we started, they're still growing they're still faithfully walking with the Lord. They're still making a difference in that community. They're still making, uh, uh, they're still changing the kingdom and making an impact. And when the believers remembered Paul, that remembrance really showed itself through their, uh, their commitment to the gospel ministry with Paul. They're ministering and they're sharing Christ with people and hearts are being changed in Philippi. And Paul says, I'm in prison and yet I'm in Philippi. I'm here and yet I'm still there preaching the gospel. And so he's thanking God for their remembering him. And he's thanking God as he remembers them. And they're thanking God for one another. And that, that partnership just continues to spur them into action. Every time the Philippians thought about Paul, he was blessed in Jesus' name because they were continuing to be working. They were showing, we want to be connected to, we believe in what you're doing. 
And so when we've gotten notes from Ben and we've gotten notes from Brian and Angie and we've gotten uh, notes from Nathan and Nathan and Angie and when, when Chris has written to us and Corey has written to us and other people that you've just sent to be alongside us, they just... We just get messages sometimes and you don't know what it means to think, man, they, there's a picture, right? You, you, got, you got together on a Sunday morning and you're just going through the PowerPoint of the announcements and someone sends a snap and they show us the picture and they say, we prayed for you today. And I thank God for that kind of partnership. I thank God for the way that you're connected and the way that it's, uh, the way that it's made a difference. We had a teammate uh, before he's moved on to a different country now, but he talks about a time when uh, he was running uh, in a race. I think he was running a half marathon or something like that. And uh, Anthony says, I'm running along and I'm doing my race, and I run past the guy who is eating a sausage McMuffin, and he's like holding his drink, and he's saying, uh, like encouraging things from the side of the road. And, you know, like, a, you can do it. And Anthony looks over and says, basically in his own heart, you don't know if I can do it or not, right? You're standing there eating a sausage McMuffin. What do you know about me? But he said, when someone else that's in the race comes alongside and says, you can do it, he thinks, I can do it. I'm going to run with that guy for, I'm going to run with that guy for a minute. And so the fact that you're intentional about the kind of church that you have and the kind of outreach that you do, that I feel like we're running the race together. We're not, we're not serving in the place that we could be most comfortable or where the work would be easiest. We go where the place, to the place where we feel like God's called us. And so to have someone in the race saying, press on, means so much more than someone who's eating a sausage McMuffin, right, spiritually, whatever that would look like in the church realm, and saying, uh, here's our hero, come and tell us some of your stories. It means something to us that you're running the race with us. So I'm not, I'm not surprised when Paul opens up the letter and he's talking about this uh, partnership. He, he doesn't need things from them, but he's rejoicing over the fact that this church continues to produce fruit and work for the gospel, even though Paul maybe hadn't been there for some time. You know, too, that uh, what the, the thing that I see from, uh, from Don Carson when I'm reading through his commentary, and when Paul talks about this partnership in verse 5, what the ESV and I think the New American Standard both translate as partnership, that that word is actually koinonia. It's the same thing, the same word that he uses in chapter 4, verse 15, when he says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning uh, of the gospel when I left Macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only that word partnership is koinonia which which you know normally is translated as fellowship so Paul is just celebrating this fellowship that they have together with these believers and and, and it's not fellowship the way that we typically think of it right the American church is, is maybe it's like this around the world but we've turned fellowship into uh hamburgers and hot dogs and may playing you know a golf scramble and uh you know if we if we have coffee with uh with a with a neighbor we're just having coffee with a neighbor but if I'm having a coffee with a neighbor who happens to be a Christian I'm having fellowship and I think Paul's picture is more than this Carson says they would use koinonia in those days, not just about fellowship, but about partnership. If two men, he says, bought a fishing boat and were going to go into business together, they were in 
koinonia. They both had something in, invested in this. They owned part of the boat together. They were working together. They had fellowship. They had started this partnership. It's not just a meal. It's not just having fun and seeing movies and being Christians in the same place at the same time. They had real partnership. And Paul's blessed because they're having that fellowship together in the gospel. In the gospel, their fellowship and their partnership is they're working together for eternal things. We tell people when we come back, uh, we're from uh, Barron County, Kentucky. And so when we speak in a church that's in Barron County, Kentucky, we always say, thank you so much for reaching our people group because God called us to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so uh, we will tend to look when we're living overseas and say, oh, that person won't, uh, that person won't invest in their, own people in their own people group. And if they won't invest in their own people group, they're not a healthy believer. And I always find myself thinking, who is not investing in their own people group? We aren't because we left our country and we're investing in somebody else's people group. And so it means something to us when we can come back to churches in our hometown and say, thank you for faithfully sharing the gospel among the people that we can't be among. God's called us to care about those people too. And so they're, they're fellowshipping and partnering together in the gospel. And that's why Paul can look at them and say, I'm sure of this in verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus, at the day of Jesus Christ. He's seen God working in it. I've seen God working in you, and I know because of the character of God, because he started working in you, that he will faithfully finish the work that he has begun in you. That's what Christ does. And Paul's able to look at Philippi and say, I can't be there to look over all of those things, but I know God will be faithful to continue to work through you. Then in verse 8, he says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I think it's kind of his final words along those lines. It's something like, God himself knows I wish I could be with you today. Because these people had been faithful with him when things were going well and when things weren't going well. And maybe that's because, right, if we look at Acts 16, that whole thing started with Paul in prison. He shared and some people believed and he was thrown in prison. He was there for one night, but he was still in jail. And so he says, when, when things were going well, when, when, when things were going difficult, when I was on trial, when I was in jail, you were with me. My heart goes out to you. I miss you. I wish we were together. Then he comes to this uh, prayer in verses 9 to 11. He starts praying for them, and specifically praying for their growth and uh, love and knowledge and discernment. Verse 9, it is my prayer that you... It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul prays that their love would abound more and more. But more and more of what? He doesn't say more and more of what. I think he leaves that for us to understand. I pray that you would love God more and more. I pray that your love for God, as your love for the Father grows, I pray it overflows that you would love the people around you more and more. He wants their love to grow, even as they grow in knowledge and discernment. The New Living Translation says knowledge and 
understanding. I want you not just to know things. I want you to really understand. It's not just enough for us to grow more and more in the head stuff. It has to touch our hearts as well. Those things have to be attached. The things that we know and the things that we feel, I think they should be attached and I think they should be growing together. Our love and our knowledge with discernment. If we know more and more and more and more, but our understanding of how to apply that knowledge doesn't keep pace, I think we grow cold and we grow useless. The way that you see this overseas is that people will get a particular focus, and this is my opinion, that's why I step out beside, right? This is my opinion part. People get a particular focus on a kind of people, and, uh, and they and they'll focus on those people to the neglect of other people around them. We had lunch yesterday, and we ran into a couple who's serving, a, they're serving as missionaries in Eastern Africa, and they said, when we hit the ground, a local pastor asked them, which people are you here to minister to? And they said, we're here to minister to people. And he said, oh, I can work with you then if you're here to minister to people, because some missionaries come and they say, we're here to minister to Muslim people. And we're not interested in other kinds of people. And that happens all over the world. We're here to minister to Chinese people. Koreans are not our problem, right? Or you can say, we're, we're here to minister to the Han Chinese, the Uyghurs. They're not our problem. And I think we grow in this kind of knowledge about one particular group of people or one particular place or one particular thing and we disconnect that from our heart and we start to we start to lose out on the fact that every person in our community every person on our street is lost every person on our street is lost all the people on our street are worshiping idols all of the people on our street and so if they're from Bangladesh or they're from Pakistan, if they're from, uh, if they're from Malaysia or they're from Indonesia or they're from Singapore, if they're from the Philippines, the people that are around us, the people that are from Europe and they're people that are from uh, Australia, that when we invite them to the church and they just hold up a beer and laugh and say, hey, is anybody interested in a church? Nope, no thanks, preacher. They're lost. All of those people are lost. And so if we get to a place in our knowledge of one particular group that we start to ignore other groups, I think we've... We've disconnected somehow with what it feels like to be lost, and we, we can't. So Paul's praying for them, not just, to, not just to grow more and more in their head stuff, but to grow with knowledge and to grow with understanding. Those things have to keep pace. If they don't keep pace, we know a lot, and we're just cold, and we are useless. We'll sit around, and in an academic sort of way, we'll talk about what it means when people perish. Or it looks like this. In our context about persecution, we'll talk about persecution. And we'll say, people are going to be persecuted. If people are coming to faith, then people are going to be persecuted. That's just a fact. If God's moving and people are coming to faith, then people will be persecuted. But when we start to talk about particular people who have disappeared, to me that's a different kind of thing, right? When I start thinking about that guy's family has a no idea what happened to him. He's gone. And I'll get with other missionaries, and they'll say, people are going to be persecuted. And I think, can we just stop for a minute and talk about the fact that he is gone, and we don't know what happened to him? I know it's a fact that when people come to faith, that more people will be persecuted, and some people probably will lose their lives over it. But can we talk about this man's family? 
We can't allow those things to be disconnected, right? Then again, if we're all heart, then we'll just be uh, constantly discerning needs around us, and we just don't have any knowledge of what God's Word would have us to do, and we'll meet needs of, after needs after needs. We'll do all of these incredibly great things, and yet we'll leave the most important thing undone. And we'll have barbecues together, and we'll watch movies, and we'll fellowship, and we'll have great friends, and we'll go to weddings with one another, and we'll do all of these things. And then when our friends die, they'll be separated from Christ for eternity because they didn't know who he was. We need to be partnering in the gospel. So Paul goes on to say that he prays for their knowledge and their understanding and that as the knowledge and discernment grow, that they're going to stand up for what is excellent, that there'll be people who live lives of purity and they'll be able to stand blameless on the day of judgment. He prays for knowledge. He prays for understanding. He prays for them to live lives of righteousness so that people will see them and then be pointed to God. Right? C.S. Lewis talks about that. If you're in this dark shed and one shaft of light comes through, we can't just get uh, fixed in on the shaft of light. The point is to look up the shaft and find out where the light is coming from. And so... Probably all of us at some point or another have been blessed just with some kind of relationship. And when we were, were with someone and then we part, we think, I am so much better after being with that person, right? Have you got people like that in your life? You're with some lady and she says, hey, can I pray for you a second? And she prays and then she walks away and you think, man, that woman has been with Jesus, right? We're with some guy and he says, can I share something with you? And he talks and we just think, man, that, that dude loves the Lord. I'm better off because I know that person. I think that's what Paul, what Paul's praying for, for these kind of believers. Be those kind of people that when you interact with someone, they're better off because they have been in contact with you. He's asking God to make the believers there at Philippi knowledgeable and discerning, pure living, holy people, overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. So that after people are with us, they say, man, I, I need whatever it is that he's got. Whatever it is that's happened to her, I want that to happen to me. That kind of testimony always resounds to the praise of the Lord. Not to the person, right? If a person's really been with Jesus and they bless us, we don't go away just thinking, man, that person's been with we think that person's been with Jesus. They've been changed by Christ. And our prayer can be and should be the same for one another. So what do we do? We have a text like that and we read it. What practically, I think, what we, we, we can do a couple of things. Probably we can do a hundred things, but I'm going to try to give you four and then we'll be finished. Well, how do we live in light of this text? First, I would say this. Partner with one another. Partner with one another. Let's live with purpose Right? I don't believe that God has brought you into this faith family for this time for no reason. God's got you here for a reason. He wants you to partner together in the gospel. So you can be working together. We can be working together as families, as believers, as a church to make a greater impact on our community and on, our, on the kingdom of God in this place. We have to ask, how can we live together? How can we live together in a way that brings glory and praise to God? How do we do that? You're going to partner together, right? It's going to be rough sometimes. Rub each other the wrong way and you have difficulties. And 
whatever. But you, you live together, and as you live together, we point people to Christ. We make disciples, we plant churches, and we teach people to do the same thing. Go share Christ, make disciples, plant churches, and teach people to do the same thing. Go share Christ, make disciples, plant churches, and do the same thing. That's how the gospel got from there to here, and that's how it's going to get from here to the future. So partner together. Then I would say, secondly, we pray for one another, right? Wouldn't you love to have people praying for you and rejoicing over you the way that Paul is praying for these believers? Don't you think everyone would love that? For someone to be praying for them and rejoicing over them the way that Paul does? And so we can be praying for and praying with one another. But those kind of prayers don't ever flow out of uh, just attending together. They flow out of actual relationships, We know each other's names, right? Because we spend time together. We know every kid's name because we spend time together. We hear the stories about sports or about school or about the issues that people are having. We we know so-and-so's mom is sick because we had lunch with them and we've heard about that and we know what's going on because we're in relationship together. And so we can pray better when we uh, are in relationship. And so we have to be connected to one another. When you're not in relationship, you're not on each other's minds. And when people come to mind, you can pray for them. We were talking today about our good friends in uh, Kentucky. His mom is uh, sick, and the hospice is telling him she's probably got a week to live. And so we've been, we've been thinking about them. And when, when they come to mind, we pray for them, and we pray for God to comfort them, and pray for God to be easy on them, and just to be with them now more than ever. Because we hear about those things. We're messaging back and forth. And so you think about someone and you pray for them. And then I think you shoot them a text and say, I was thinking of you, praying for you. Just wanted you to know I love you today. We gather together with uh, other missionaries for prayer meetings. And so we're praying for lost people in these meetings. And I have my phone out the entire time. I think they find, I think they find it really frustrating. But when we pray for someone by name, I shoot them a text and say, hey, what's going on? I've been praying for you today. How are you doing? Just wanted you to know I was thinking about you praying for you. We can do that. Paul prays for people, for them to be growing in gospel love and growing in faithfulness. So we would uh, partner together. We'd pray for one another. And then I think uh, what I'm just saying there is the third, encourage one another. Verse 6, where Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. When was the last time you just took a moment with someone and said, man, let me tell you what I see God doing in you. I can, I can, here's what I can see, right? Because the truth is, we can't always see the things that God's doing in our lives. If someone stopped me and said, do you think you're gifted in evangelism? I would say, no. Because if I was gifted in evangelism, lots and lots of people would be saved. And so it's like cool water for my soul when Nathan will stand up and say, I see him as gifted in evangelism. Because he's got some perspective on my life that I don't always have on my own life. Here's what I see, here's what I see God doing in you. And I think he started something in you, so I believe he will finish it. And we encourage one another that way. We walk alongside. We, we just, let's grab people and take them for coffee or lunch. And let's just spend a minute and say, I see God doing this and this and this. You are more patient than you used to be. It seems to me you've learned a lot more scripture this year than you had in other years. Man, when you uh, led the study, it was way better than maybe, you know, when I remember you first did it three years ago. I can just see how God's 
moved you and how he's blessing you and how, he's, how the kids have uh, changed since you began this focus, right? We just, we can, there's a million ways we can build one another up. But I think we have to be, be specific and I think we have to be honest. It doesn't mean anything when someone says, oh, you're my hero. I just think, what? that doesn't mean anything. Or when someone looks at me and they say, you're doing a great job over there. We, we were youth ministers. Uh, I, I did youth ministry for a long time, and I, a senior adult would stop me in the hall, and they would say, you are just doing such a great job. And I would say, thank you very much. Praise the Lord. And thank you. You have no idea what I'm doing, right? <laughs> I appreciate your encouragement, but you're not connected to the youth. You don't know what we're doing. You don't know how the kids are moving or not moving. You just don't know. And it means something different when a parent comes and says, Here's what's happening through our kids. So be specific and be honest, right? We can be encouraging and we can be real honest about that. Tell people specifically, here's how I see you growing. Here's how I see God working in your life. And we've got that, that kind of base built. Then when it comes time for correction, that, that doesn't just start with, hey, you know I love you, right? You don't have to say that because people already know that they, yeah, of course, what? Tell me. I have something. I have something. I'm not sure that you're going to want to hear it. I want to hear it from you. I want to hear it. Tell me. Can I be better? Please tell me. And so we have those harder conversations. Those will be uh, more skillfully delivered and those will be more readily accepted because of this other relationship that you have where you've just blessed and encouraged before. And here's the last thing. Or as we say in Southeast Asia, last, last, right? Last, last. Come to Christ. What do we do in light of this text? We come to Christ because because Paul says that these things, these people will be able to stand pure and blameless on the day of judgment. They're going to be filled with the righteousness of Christ. We have this incredible treasure that's available for us. That not only can all of our sin be taken away, but all of the obedience of Christ, that will be poured into us as well. So all the things that I did that I shouldn't do, wiped out. All the things that I didn't do but should have done, poured into my account. Man, please don't read a letter like Philippians and let the things that Paul says be about other people. Don't let them be about other people. Come to Christ. He is willing. He came. He died on the cross. He was buried. He was raised again. And now God makes it possible that he will not count your sins against you if you will come to Christ. Don't let these things be about other people. Don't let them be about someone else. He came, and if you're saying, he came for me, yes. If you would say, he came for me, he came for you. If you think, oh, is this for me? It's absolutely the very fact that you asked that question, I think, is evidence that he came for you and wants you to hear and wants you to be responsive. He came for you. All of these other things we can, we can really try. We can try to be encouraging and we can try to be partnered up and we can, try to be, uh, uh, we can try to be praying for people, but all of those things flow out of a relationship with Christ. If we don't have a relationship with Christ, we try to partner and we fail. We try to pray and we fail. We try to help and we fail. We try to encourage and we fail. But we're in Christ, we have this supernatural ability. He's working his power in us and through us. And so that's the, that's the last note. Come to Christ. That's what I would think Paul would say. If he could say one thing, I think he would say, come to Christ. Come to Christ. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. 
Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. It's just the most important, it's just the most important thing that we can ever hear. Let's pray together. Father, I am grateful for your love and for your power. I'm grateful for the the gospel of Christ that you made available to me. Lord, that while I was a a sinner, Lord, concerned with only myself and uh, my kingdom and the things that I wanted, Lord, that you crashed in. And uh, Lord, you changed me and you took the heart of stone away and gave me a heart of flesh. And and then, Lord, when um, I would pray a prayer like give me the heart of Christ, break my heart with the things that break your heart. You've been faithful to answer that prayer in my life. And so I pray for the people that are here, Lord, that they would, uh, Lord, hear your voice and know it's your voice and be responsive to it today. I pray for uh, faith to come to families and I pray for uh, love to abound more and more. And I pray that that would abound with knowledge and discernment and I pray that you would bring Uh, more and more in this community to hear the gospel in a way that they can understand and believe and I pray they would respond to it. And I pray that the face of Memphis would be changed because of the way that you're working in one small church in one small corner of the city. And we pray, Lord, that when you move and uh, the earth uh, sort of shakes and uh, people respond that ultimately that Christ would receive all of the glory because we could not have done any of these things Lord, only you can do these things. And so we pray that you would open hearts. Uh, Lord, what was said to the rose to make it unfold, I pray it would be said to us in our chest today that we might be open and that we might be responsive to what you have for us. And we pray that you would bless as our service continues. God, be glorified and help us, Lord, to uh, respond in obedience in all things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.